hear the word of God from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version and can be found on page 849 in the Pew Bible. At the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. So the Pharisees showed up one day in Luke 13, concerned about Jesus' safety? Yeah, right. Let's see if we can get this straight. This would be like the Joker caring about Fat Man. Or Lex Luthor saying to Superman, hey, you might want to avoid that place because it's got some kryptonite in it. This doesn't make any sense at all. We remember that the Pharisees, time and again in the Gospels, are the arch nemeses of Jesus. They, their very existence was threatened by who Jesus was. At one point, they even plotted amongst themselves as to how to have Jesus killed. And Jesus knew all of this. So that this moment in Luke 13, when they came up to him and said, Hey, Jesus, we're concerned about your safety. Jesus, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. We can imagine Jesus saying to himself, All right, fellas, what do you think? I was born yesterday? Jesus knew the Pharisees were being disingenuous. He knew that they didn't have his best interests at heart. In fact, he's so wise to their little trick, he's so wise to their little trap, that he even calls Herod that little fox. And he associates them with him. The fox, the, the slyest, most cunning creature of all. Clearly, time and again, he had a difficult relationship with these Pharisees. And it begs the question of you and me this morning, who are the difficult people in your life? In what ways are you living amid difficult relationships today? Who is the Joker to your Batman? Who is the Lex Luthor to your Superman? Is there anyone in your life with whom you have this seemingly endless cycle of conflict, this difficult relationship? 
There are people, I suspect, in your life and mine, and anyone watching online, when you think of their name, when you picture their face, automatically there is a flood of triggered memories. The angry emails, the bitter voicemails, the slammed doors, the text messages, the long droughts of the silent treatment. There are difficult people in our lives. And if you're honest, you, you might be on someone else's list too. Nervous laughter, I get it. We're in a worship series called Getting Unstuck, and so today we want to talk about one of the toughest moments of stuckness in our lives, getting unstuck from difficult relationships with difficult people. We've all had them, those little angry moments followed by a sequence of of ceasefire, only for the war to break out again, then to have a momentary truce, and then for the scabs to be reopened once again, raw and fresh. Those endless cycles, where as try as you might, you just can't seem to get off that cycle with that person. Well, in these five little verses in Luke 13, we get three very helpful bits of advice. Spiritual guidance from Jesus himself. As we study what he said and what he did, we will discover three biblical principles that will help us get unstuck from those cycles of relationships that are very difficult for us. And I suppose it's very possible that there may be some of you in the sanctuary this morning with whom you don't have anybody that's difficult in your lives. You might be a person that has no difficult relationships with anyone today. Well, good for you. (laughs) We'll catch you next week. (laughs) But for now, for the rest of us normal people, let's listen to some very sound biblical advice from Jesus himself on how to get unstuck from those difficult relationships. Here's the first principle. This one's really important. Number one. Claim your dignity. Claim your dignity. The very first principle from Jesus right here is that he claimed his dignity. He was no pushover. He recognized immediately that the Pharisees were laying a trap for him. He knew they really didn't care about his safety or his well-being. He knew that it was all just a power game and an attempt to throw Jesus off his mission. Because that's what difficult people do. Whether they do it intentionally or not, they try to distract us from holding on to the one thing that matters the most, our dignity, our sense of worth, our sense of purpose, our reason for being. And Jesus was savvy enough to know in that moment what was really important and what was just a distraction. That's what a lot of interpersonal conflict is. Remember this. A lot of interpersonal conflict in your life is just a distraction. Just a side road that would veer you away from the things that are most important in your life. Family. Following God's will. From your own well-being. Any kind of conflict that steers you away from those main highways is a distraction. And Jesus knew it. In that moment, this was just a distraction to make him compromise his 
dignity. In the powerful novel, The Color Purple by Alice Walker, the main character is a woman named Celie. She starts out as a, a poor 14-year-old, uneducated black woman living in the South in the early 1900s. She writes letters to God every single day in which she discloses the sexual abuse that she suffered from her father. Eventually, she grows older. She meets an older widower and marries a man named Mr., who then abuses her emotionally, physically, verbally. If you've ever read the novel or, or seen the film, or especially if you've seen the powerful stage production that was recently here at the Strauss, you know that one of the most defining moments in the story, and in fact one of the more iconic moments on Broadway, comes when Celie chooses to stand up for herself and confront Mr. face to face. In an act of courage and defiance, she claims her dignity with these words. She says, I'm poor, I'm black, I may even be ugly and can't cook, but dear God, I'm here. I'm here. The very first thing that Jesus did in this pivotal scene with the Pharisees is that he refused to play their game. He refused to give in to their power and their manipulation any further. He decided to claim his identity, claim his dignity, and remind the Pharisees of, him, of his own purpose, his reason for being. He stared them squarely in the eye, and he said these words, Go tell that fox, Herod, look, I'm throwing out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will complete my work. It's the Bible's way of saying, I'm here. I'm here. I am not invisible. I am not to be underestimated. I am here. Whatever happens to you, do not compromise your dignity. Do not allow the frustration of the moment to make you think anything less of who you are, which is that you are a chosen child of God. And nobody and nothing can take that away from you. Number two, here's the second thing that Jesus teaches us in this story. This one's really hard. Release resentment. Release resentment. I love the old saying by advice columnist Ann Landers. She once wrote, holding on to a grudge is letting someone live rent-free in your head. I like that. Holding on to a grudge is letting someone live rent-free in your head. It means that no matter how difficult a person may be, they are not entitled to occupy any more space in your mind and in your heart than you allow them to. And often, the way that you allow someone to live rent-free in your head is holding on to resentment and holding on to grudges. Notice the way Jesus released that resentment. He said these words in the very next verse. He said to the Pharisees, it is necessary for me to travel today and tomorrow and the next day because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. In other words, after Jesus said, I am here, the next thing he said is, I'm moving on. 
I'm going to travel on. I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to get stuck in the past, and I will surely not let you all live rent-free in my head. I'm not going to let this difficult relationship distract me from why I am here and from what is most important. I am moving forward, and I'm letting go. And that's hard. We get it. That's hard. My predecessor and our mutual friend Jim Harnish uh, once told a story in a sermon from this very pulpit, in fact, from his earlier years in ministry. He recorded it in a book that he published, and this is what he writes. He says, one day he got a call from a couple in a former church who called him over to their house with a sense of urgency. He didn't know what the nature of the crisis was, so he showed up sort of cold knocked on the front door, he went in, and according to Jim, quote, the house was just as joyless as this couple was. The anger in the room was as dark and thick as the drapes that covered the windows. The woman was the first one to speak. The wife opened up her heart and started to pour out in front of Jim all of the anger that she had toward her husband, all of the pain that she was suffering. With one vivid, painful detail after another, she described the story of how her husband had cheated on her, had an affair with her best friend. At one point, Jim then turned to the husband and asked him if these things indeed had happened. And the husband said, yes, I did do it. I confessed it to her. And then he said, I, I have asked her to forgive me, but she hasn't been able to do it. And then Jim thought to ask this question. Asked the couple, when did this happen? And the woman snarled back, he says, and said, 35 years ago. That is a long time to allow a tenant to occupy your head rent-free. It's a long time to hold on to resentment and hold on to a, to a grudge. But for Jesus, it was an instantaneous decision. Try as they might, he wasn't going to let those Pharisees get the better of him, and he surely wasn't going to let them live in his head any longer than they did. He said, I'm moving on, and I'm letting go. Step number one, claim your dignity. Number two, release your resentment. Here's the third one. Maybe the toughest one to learn of them all. The final lesson is this. You control you. Only you can control you. Thank God we have the example of Jesus to teach this one to us because this one's hard to learn. You cannot control others. You can only control yourself. There's a critical, a critical, pivotal moment in this story where, where Jesus stops talking to the Pharisees and all of a sudden he turns his perspective and looks off in the distance. And there, off in the horizon, he sees the city of Jerusalem, that magnificent, powerful, shining city off in the distance. And he knew he was headed in that direction. And in that moment, he looked at Jerusalem and knew the people that were there. He knew that in just a very short while he would be entering that city. They would first be greeting him with cheers and adulation on Palm Sunday. 
But just in a matter of days, everyone in that city would turn on him. And they would call for his arrest. They would condemn him and eventually crucify him. And it was in that moment, in that singular moment, that he realized something. He realized something that had to be very hard for him to admit. Because after all, he was God. He was omnipotent and perfect. But even in that moment, he learned something that we have to learn about God and about ourselves. Because in that moment, Jesus realized that he was powerless in one area. He was powerless in controlling other people. He could not force people to love him. He could not force another person to treat him well. He could not force them to choose something they didn't want them to do. And so in one of the most powerful and poignant passages in all of the Gospels, in a passage that only Luke records, look at what Jesus says as he looks at Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how often I have wanted to gather your people just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you didn't want that. This is the principle, the third and final principle, that when it comes to difficult relationships, you cannot control the other person. You can only control your response to them. You cannot force others to go your way, but you can choose to live your own life with integrity and decency and honor and self-sacrifice and love. Boy, is that hard to admit. That is a really hard lesson to learn, especially when you're in the middle of the throes of conflict. It had to be hard for Jesus to acknowledge just how powerless he was in this case. But the sooner you and I can learn that lesson, you know what? The more liberated we become. And here's why. Because then you will realize that other people can't control you either. No one can make you angry. Only you choose to be angry. No one can make you sad. Only you choose sadness. No one can make you cry. You get to choose whether to cry or not. Which means, in the end, you have a lot more power than you thought. The great preacher and writer Chuck Swindoll once wrote a book many decades ago called Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. I first read that book many years ago in the early years of my faith. And one passage in particular has stuck with me, proving itself to be as true today as it was back then. It's a passage called Attitude. Listen for the wisdom of Chuck Swindoll as he seals this sermon for us. He writes, The longer I live, 
the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts, more important than the past or education or money or circumstances, more important than failure, than successes, or than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance or giftedness or skill. It'll break, it'll make or break in a, co a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Only you and God know who the difficult people are in your life. And again, it's very possible that you might be the difficult person in someone else's life. It feels like an endless cycle. Conflict with difficult people is not fun. But you know what? There's always hope. Hope that is given to us in the model and the example of Jesus, who teaches us how to stand up for ourselves and claim our dignity, find the strength within to release our resentment, and then to learn the hard truth that while we cannot control other people, by God's grace, we have more power than we think to control our responses, to choose our attitudes, and to live lives of integrity, decency, self-service, self-giving, and love. May it be for any of us this morning caught up in difficult moments with difficult people. May we find the freedom within ourselves to live the resurrection. Let's pray together. God, we confess to you just how imperfect we are by virtue of that fact that we are caught up in imperfect relationships. We know that you desire of us to be in relationships that are life-giving and not harmful, that are mutually beneficial and not destructive. Yet that is what we find ourselves in, with particular people who we might consider to be our arch-nemeses of the moment. It is comforting to know that even your son had difficult relationships with people, we give you thanks that you modeled for us in his example how we can deal with them through our dignity, by releasing resentment, and acknowledging our power. God, in these moments of silence, call to mind those people and even the triggered memories of our past as we lift them up to you, confessing our own weakness and entrusting these relationships to you. Hear us in these moments of silence as we name these people and these memories before you.
Teach us, O God, to be less like a fox and more like a hen, less prone to sly, manipulative power games, and more open to acknowledging our limitations and entrusting our relationships to your love and care. Teach us to love others, even when it is difficult to do so, and help us in all ways to trust in you. As we continue this march toward the cross and into the glory of the resurrection, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let all God's people say, amen. And so may it be that as you live the days of this week, you will discover moments, opportunities for you to live the resurrection, especially with difficult people in your life. May this moment of offertory be a moment of commitment for you. Will you choose to orient your heart toward the goodness of God, offering to God your joys and concerns on the prayer cards, as well as your tithes and offerings as we offer the fullness of who we are to Jesus Christ. So at this time, we invite the ushers to come forward and wait upon us.